Infirmary Media. Broadcasting from the Podcast New York Studios, it's the adult-only retro game show where the 80s and 90s do battle because it's your history, we just fight for it. Welcome back to Dueling Decades. Let's take a look at this week's duelers and the decades they will be fighting for in the week experience. I am Mark James, and for this week-long retro binge, I will be dueling with the dates of March 12th to the 18th in the year of our Lord, 1995. And my opponent... I'm Mike Ranger, and I'll be covering March 15th through 21 on 1981. <laughs> Don't sound so excited. Oh, I'm, I can't wait to tell you what I have written in my <laughs> can't notebook. Wait, can't wait to hear it. I can't wait to tell you what I slaved over six hours of work to bring you today. <laughs> and as always here on the show, we need somebody to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. So our judge tonight is the only man to ever ski the K-12 on three legs. It's Man Crush. What's up? Uh, hopefully you guys are listening to this. Everyone's healthy and at least this can take your mind off it for at least an hour, maybe 45 minutes, whatever this comes out to be. Uh, but yeah, enjoy it. Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. The judges coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five Dueling Decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and hot products. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And the winning decade shall be decided by the highest overall score after all five rounds. Polish your pistols, prepare for battle, pass the pump. It's time for more... Dueling Decades. <laughs> all right, let's go right down to Man Crush for the official toss-off. All right, so normally I use my CNS tapper, but I'm a little afraid that my number will be kind of low today because I haven't moved out of my chair from working from home. <laughs> has fucked my world up. I'm like, I think I took like 300 steps today. I feel like a piece of shit. So I have uh, a Zinn Coolmint tobacco-free can here, uh, six milligram. Uh, we got uh, Zinn on the front. Here's a nice little plug for these guys. If you guys hear us, maybe pay us. Uh, Zinn on the front. This will be heads. And obviously this back white side will be tails. Mike, you call it. I'm going to go with uh, heads. It is heads. You are correct. Nice. All right, Mike Ranger, you take control of the board. What category would you like to go with first? Uh, I think I'm going to go with news, Mark. All righty. Wow, two episodes in a row. News is always the best. You know, gentlemen, these are strange times. There's a lot of uncertainty out there, and people are scared. They're in need of a feel-good story. And unfortunately, this week in March, just couldn't fucking give them one. <laughs> so I've got kind of one f uh, funny story and one serious one. All right. This is an article uh, from the Daily News on March 16th, 1981. 
uh, titled Too Guilty in Pot Rap. Uh, a Long Island dentist and his wife face up to 15 years in prison following their conviction of trying to smuggle 80 pounds of marijuana through Kennedy Airport and Queens District Attorney John Satucci announced. Arthur Kravitz, 45, an orthodontist with a home and an office at 464 Old Country Road, Melville. I love how they give his address. Yeah. <laughs> like, you go right there. What a fortunate guy. He's got a home and an office. Yeah, and listen to this. His wife, Joyce, who is 40, uh, she has a separate home at 136 Berkeley Place in Brooklyn, and there's, they uh, are scheduled to appear in the Jamaican Supreme Court on April 16th for the sentencing by Justice Anthony Savarze, uh, Satucci said. I love this guy's name. So basically, these guys decided that they were going to smuggle uh, about 80 pounds of pot in their luggage <laughs> from Jamaica, and uh, they were they were caught by some dogs. Wow. Oh, so you're not even talking Jamaica, Queens. You're talking actual Jamaica. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fuck. So they're going to court in Jamaica. In Jamaica, nice. yes. Not Jamaica, Queens. Now, you're probably wondering, why did I read this story? Because it's not interesting. It's not very pop culture. Well, it's because <laughs> I was looking for some hip-hop news in 1981, because I figured that would be pretty groundbreaking, and this is what I found. Well, it is. Uh, when you said too guilty in pot rap, I thought it was going to be about a rap. So I think you should come up with a pot rap to give us right now. Oh man, I don't know if I can do a, a pot rap. You got to rap about pot. I don't, you know, I don't. Uh, I've never been much into sculpting. Uh, I've never made an ashtray in art class, so I don't know if I. <laughs> oh, I thought that was the rap. I was oh. like, oh, I like where this is going. Oh yeah. Then you just ruined it. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> that was that was my poor poor attempt at humor. <laughs> Mike Ranger, the man that once beat Wax in a rap competition. Wasn't fair. I showed up with, like, rehearsal time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike, what do you got for your second news story? So for my uh, second news story, uh, this is my feel-good story. Uh, if you were to read the front page of the Daily News on March 20th, 1981, then you saw the headline on the front cover that read, One dies, five hurt, on spaceship. The accident was blamed on a premature all-clear signal while testing on the Columbia Space Shuttle, at the Kennedy this Space is a Center. a feel-good story. Well, you don't feel good about it? <laughs> no. I do. I wasn't fucking there. <laughs> so five technicians were asphyxiated while setting up a ground test following a successful countdown. The techs were cleared to enter the compartment, uh, and they walked into a nitrogen-filled room. The men became unconscious. One died on the way to the hospital, and another two weeks later. The Space Shuttle Columbia served for 22 years and 27 missions before disintegrating during re-entry on February 1st, 2003. Wow. Damn. Yeah. So where's the feel-good part? I'm still waiting. Again, I was not there. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Well, thanks, Mike. Thanks for that news. Yeah. 1981, bringing it with the weak experience. Mark, what do you have for 1995? All right. So, Mike, I'm going to see your space news story. And raise your one. And I'm going to start this one off with a little bit of trivia. Because we love trivia here at Dueling Decades. And I'll ask you guys and all of our listeners. What do you guys think the max number of human beings ever in space at one time has ever been? Ooh. 22. Nope. Mike Ranger. Seven. It is not seven. On March 14th, 1995, we actually reached the max number of people ever in space for the very first time it has been done two other times since with the same number but for the first time we had 13 people in space Ooh. 
So we'll go to an article here from newspapers.com from the Leader Post in Regina, Saskatchewan. It says, uh, human space population of 13 might seem extraordinary, but now Endeavor Commander Stephen Oswald predicts that a virtual colony will be pretty mundane within 10 years. The number of people in orbit jumped to 13 in three spaceships when Norman Thagard and two cosmonauts were launched aboard the Russian rocket toward the Mir space station this week. Mir already had a crew of three members, and the shuttle had seven. So NASA immediately couldn't say if it was a record when this was written. It was written one day after, but as time shows, then yeah, 13 people was an all-time record, and still is to this date, and that was the first time it ever happened, March 14th, 1995. All right. That's my first news story. My second news story is your little bit of a feel-good news story, Man Crush. Here you go. Bring us good shit. It is. It is good shit, and it's technology-based, and I know how you love technology. No, right now, this week, I hate it. So we're going March 18th, 1995, a guy sent a fax. (laughs) Yeah, and it wasn't even like the first fax ever sent. It was just a guy, and he sent a fax, and it wasn't even an exciting fax. It only had two words on it. And it just said, I'm back. Of course, I'm talking about when Michael Jordan faxed the Chicago Bulls, I'm back, signaling to them that he was returning from his uh, hiatus from basketball and returning to the Chicago Bulls. And he would actually suit up the very next night to play against the Indiana Pacers. It was kind of an interesting time for sports because in March of 95, you know, Major League Baseball was on strike at the time. The NHL was in a lockout. We're in the middle of the O.J. Simpson trial, and we're all trying to deal with the whole Nancy Kerrigan thing because it just come out that Tonya Harding had hired Jeff Galulli. So, yeah, it was a really weird time for sports, and we needed a hero. And on March 18th, 1995, we got our hero back. This time, he was wearing number 45, though. So that's my second news story. Michael Jordan returns to the NBA. Who's Michael Jordan? <laughs> I don't know. Never heard of him. Well, is there a news story from March 17th where the uh, the the NBA commissioner kind of just looked the other way from all the uh, the gambling problems and let him back into the league? <laughs> well, this is when this is when he left to go play baseball. Well, right. Well, on his own because he right. wanted to play baseball. All of a yeah. sudden, um, I wish that would come out one day, like the oh. actual story behind why he left. Yeah, to go the, play baseball with the gambling and everything. And I think it's something we've talked about on the show quite a few times. It never has come out because it would bring up the Pete Rose debate again. Yep. Which it should. It, it absolutely should. It absolutely should. You're 100% right on that. Uh, but, I mean, this is kind of a slam dunk for uh, 95. I'm not even going to sugarcoat this one. Mike came with two dopes that uh, try to smuggle 80 pounds of pot from Jamaica, not Jamaica, Queens. And uh, had to go to trial in Jamaica, so I don't even know how that is. Sounds shitty. And then uh, he had some space shit and a death that was supposed to two, make two uh, deaths. It was up two deaths. He died a week later. <laughs> right, so that still counts. <laughs> and then Mark, he, he came with thirteen people in space, and uh, Jordan coming back. I mean, just Jordan coming back is just monumental i think you know we talk about it and that's why we don't really cover sports as a topic that much anymore because what we noticed was a lot of sports things they just don't have legs they just 
you know, it was big in the moment and then nobody cares. Come the next year, it's like who won the Super Bowl last year? It doesn't matter. Yeah. But that one, the one that you brought up, that's a big deal because the Bulls were not as good when he left. And of course he came back and uh, they went back on top. Yeah, I mean, at the time, the Bulls were actually considering completely dismantling that roster, getting rid of Scottie Pippen, B.J. Armstrong. That all changed on the 18th when Michael Suddy was coming back. They decided to keep the team together and that nucleus together for the rest of the season. And, well, we all know what happened after that. Oh, man, I remember his first trip back to the Garden. And he, I, I want to say he dropped like 50 fucking points wow. on the Knicks. God, I wish he would have stayed retired. <laughs> Anyhow. Yeah, so I give that one to 95. Mark, you take control of the board. Where are we going? All right, let's go off to the movies round. Ooh, early. Yeah, we're going to start off with some movies. So, man, weak experience. You got to play the cards you're dealt. So we're going to go with a movie that came out in the week I had here on uh, March 17th, 1995. Now, this one's a barn burner. It's Circle of Friends. I'm sure you guys are all familiar with this because you probably all had to go see it on a few dates, I'm sure. I saw a circle jerk of... Fr- Never mind. No, no, that's a totally different movie. That's the one we watched last week. Uh, no. Um. <laughs> anyway, mind. so Circle of Friends, it stars Chris O'Donnell in the enchanting Mini Driver in her very first movie. This is Mini Driver's debut to the world in the movie Circle of Friends. It's set in 1950s Ireland. The movie focuses on Benny Hogan and her best friend, Eve Malone, as they enter their student life at University College in Dublin. Uh, Mini Driver actually gained a little bit of weight to play the role. And the thing that I find most interesting about this, and probably the only interesting thing about this entire movie, is because of the height discrepancy between Chris O'Donnell and Mini Driver on the romantic scenes where they're walking in the woods, Mini Driver actually had to walk in a ditch. So Chris O'Donnell <laughs> appeared a little taller. So How tall is he? Chris O'Donnell? I have no clue. Hang on. Let me look. I'm going to guess. I'm going to say 5'7". Five, 5'10". Five, He's 5'. Yeah. Oh, shit. Wow. How, uh, mini Driver. What is she? 6'3"? 7'4". She, does, she <laughs> does look pretty tall. No, it says it. Well, somebody's lying here because it says that uh, she's also 5'10". No, I think Chris O'Donnell's lying on that one. Um, yeah, I'm going to go yeah. with 5'7". I'm going to go with 5'7". Yeah, definitely. Even with the ditch. So, yeah, that's my first movie offering, Circle of Friends. That's a piece of shit. What else yeah, you got? pretty much. All right. Well, my second piece of shit came out, obviously, <laughs> on the same day, March 17th, 1995. And uh, we'll go to an article at newspapers.com to review this one because I found a review for it. So the movie I'm going to be talking about came out March 17th, 1995, and that's Candyman, Farewell to the Flesh. Mm. Article written in here by Desmond Ryan says, In Candyman, Farewell to the Flesh, there is a soused, shirtless Mardi Gras celebrator lying on the ground with a plea scrawled across his bare back. It reads, I'm drunk, I'm stupid, let me sleep. It's a message that aptly describes the only condition in which this film can be safely watched. If that doesn't sum up Candyman Farewell to the Flesh, I don't know what does. It was kind of a misstep for the movie. The original concept for the film was that they were going to continue on with the urban legend kind of storylines and actually not have Candyman himself in the sequel. And it was going to be about other stories. The studio said, hell no, teenagers just want to go to the theaters to see Candyman hack up some people. 
So they put Candyman back in, and the storylines kind of got diluted, and there was a little bit of controversy when the film was released. Because when the poster came out, originally, they thought it would be a little controversial because it showed a black man hovering over and stalking a, a white female. And at the time, we were in the middle of the O.J. Simpson trial. So they pulled the artwork from the original poster and redid it. Still didn't make the movie any better. So that's what I got. Candyman, Farewell to the Flesh, and Circle of Friends. Outstanding for 1995. (laughs) March, a week in March of 1995. Mike, that's uh, off to you. What do you got for movies? So hopefully they're better than uh, those two. Oh, I think so. Those, I think so. I think uh, you're gonna like this. I think you're gonna. It's gonna. Right, it's gonna, right. gonna be great. I can't. I can never tell if you're full of shit or if you're serious. Oh well. Just well, hold on I'm, a second. Yeah, we'll uh, find just, out. We'll just find give out. me a minute here. I'm gonna try to do this the best I can, so you, you're impressed. Um, on March 20th, 1981, the silver screen saw Jack Nicholson and Jessica Lange come together in the Ooh. Postman. Yes, always yes. rings twice. Rings twice. Yeah. This erotic thriller has a superb plot summary on IMDb, uh, so I figured I'd read it to you. The talented crafter of words writes, The sensuous wife of a lunch wagon propertyer and a rootless drifter begin a sordidly steamy affair and conspire to murder her Greek husband. I like that. <laughs> Is that why you picked it? Yes, I liked it. <laughs> uh, it's based off a 1934 novel by James M. Kane. And a remake of the 1946 film. It grossed $44 million against a $12 million budget. And yeah, Jack Nicholson just, just being as sexy as he can be. Yeah, I said that. <laughs> and if that made you uncomfortable, then that's what you're going to feel when you're watching this movie. Because that's how I feel when I watch the fucking trailer. I felt uncomfortable. Does anybody notice that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is turning into Jack Nicholson? Slowly. Yeah. But he's not he as is. fucking maniacal quite yet. No, 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 no. He's not getting that. Just the looks. His head's like kind of getting bloated. Yeah. Yeah. And he's starting to look more and more like Jack Nicholson. Yeah. And he's starting to get that large forehead receding hairline wrinkle. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. What's the, imagine he does like a remake of like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I'd be down for that. Or the postman always rings twice. Leo's one of those guys that's as he gets older, he gets better as an actor. So. Oh, I actually, I like him a lot as an actor. I just think he's starting to look a lot like Jack Nicholson. That might not be a bad thing. No, maybe not. And somebody's got to fill that bill. Yeah. Might as well be Leo. Anyhow, what's your, uh, what's your second pick there? All right. Now, on March 20th, 1981, in cinemas across America, played The Final Conflict, the last chapter of the Omen trilogy, where the now adult Antichrist, Damien Thorne, played by Sam Neill, is running his uncle's company and is the ambassador to Great Britain, just like his father in the first movie. The now adult Damien is now aware of his unholy lineage and his destiny. According to IMDb, the film grossed over $20 million domestically against a $5 million budget. A decade later, this proved not to be the final conflict, with the fourth installment of the series, Omen 4 The Awakening, premiering as a made-for-TV movie. Now, VHS collectors can find this ultimate confrontation between good and evil on eBay for about five bucks plus shipping. Nice. All right. I'm not going to sugarcoat this round either. This this might be like one of those games where every round, one side is just lopsided. And I'm feeling that already. And it's going back and forth. And this one got to go to 1981. And particularly... 
before Postman always rings twice because Jessica Lange got finger banged by Jack Nicholson in this movie. Spoilers. Yeah, there's spoiler. There's not enough finger banging in movies that's as graphic as this one is. I remember this because as a young child, we know the Man Crush 3 in the RCA discs. That wasn't part of the Man Crush 3, but I actually watched it quite a bit as a young child, which is pretty fucked up. But I do remember the uh, the finger bang scene where he's digging his hand into her lacy panties. <laughs> but, you know, interestingly enough, I don't think there's a topless scene in that movie. I think it's just like uh, Jessica Lange's big boobs kind of jutting out of her bra and her tops, but I don't think you ever see them. Hmm. I think as a young child, I probably would remember that, but I yeah. Yeah. I do remember the uh, the panty scene with the little... Uh, yeah, so I got to give that one. Circle of Friends, Mini Driver's debut. I mean, <laughs> I know that's a weak experience, and that totally shows it right there because normally... <laughs> On a normal episode, it's like, oh, this is the movie. It's Adam Sandler's debut or a TV show, Adam Sandler's uh, debut or whoever's debut. We got Mini Driver's debut. Yeah. Yep. In 2001, that might have been pretty awesome. But like in 2020, who's Mini Driver again? <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, and Chris O'Donnell and his five foot seven ass. Sorry, bro. You're not five ten. I just I don't believe it. So I got to give this one to 1981. Mike, you control the board. Where are we going from here? I think we should go to hot products. Oh, God. In the middle. All right. And this is a... I'm just going to say this right now. This is what I'm going to say before you even throw your picks out. Yours are going to be absolute shit, and Mark's are going to be fucking off the wall. <laughs> but I'm just... We'll see. Let's see how it goes. All right. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know how to follow that. I've got an article from March 21st in uh, Daily News. The article covers the popularity of the Muppet Show and the newly opened Muppet Store on Lexington Avenue in New York just a few months earlier. The article goes on to list the store's most popular items, leading with a Fisher-Price Kermit doll for $9.99, Miss Piggy and Fonzie beanbags for $6.95, a Thermos lunchbox for $6.95, and a comforter for $130. And just for fun, the article also attached a list of the uh, top syndicated TV shows in New York at the time. And The Muppet Show was tied for number one with All in the Family. Wow. Very that's interesting. A, that's kind of a shocker. Yeah. I'm kind of depressed we never got a crossover with All in the Family and The Muppet Show. I think that would have been kind of interesting. The the po the, the possibilities. <laughs> I don't think Archie would have liked Miss Piggy at all. She's a fat, disgusting pig. Probably call her a dingbat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what's your second pick there? Well, my second pick is... Uh, For the record, that's the first time a store opening has ever been a hot product. So uh, excellent on that. It's well, nice. it's more so about the toys, I guess, but... It's original. Yeah. It's what, it's what I could find. <laughs> <laughs> We do this for we do this for you guys because we took sports out because everyone was like, "Stop doing sports! I want to hear about hot products." So we're doing hot products, but in the week experience, like Mike said, you get what you get. Oh yeah, and for anybody that thinks that you can just go out there and Google what came out in 1981, good fucking luck 
with that. <laughs> Especially when <laughs> yeah. it's one week yeah. in 1981. Good luck, because there's no good dates on any of this shit. You have to fucking read newspapers, and even then, you're fucking kind of taking a guess. Because I saw some shit where it was like, fucking, oh, uh, 9 to 5 came, uh, 9 to 5 is available, brand new, but how long has it been new for? I don't fucking know. Yeah, yeah it's it's hard. Last month, we... Uh, what what year did we have again when we had that uh that matchup i fucking 86 and uh there was the big vhs bang and yeah everything came out like jedi came out of course we missed that and uh rambo came out in like january missed yep, that missed that and uh then in may you had back to the future coming out so dude i feel your pain that that's one of the great parts about the game is when you're doing the research for this stuff it's almost a kick in the ball. Well, it's not almost. It is a kick in the balls when you miss stuff by a day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we try <laughs> to stick to that. I know, like, I'm sure it's happened before where maybe the date might have been off with other people. I know damn well when I do it, if I miss it by a day, I'm just kicking myself like, motherfucker. Why yeah. couldn't we get just like one day more to yep. get this pick? Always oh. happens, too. Oh, and you, yep. you would you would have loved it because if I, if I had one more day... It would have been the premiere of RCA's uh, Selective Vision. Oh, oh damn, man. Yep. See? Yeah, that would have been That's a solid exactly one. That's exactly what we're talking about. And you know what the kick in the nuts is, too? Like, you remember this stuff. So, like, you'll be like, oh, okay. So, that came out a day after this pick. Next time I have this date, I'm going to go back and find that. You never get that date again. <laughs> We've been doing these shows for almost two years now. Yeah. I don't think there's ever been a case where I've been like, oh, yeah, that's right. I had this written down in my notes somewhere. <laughs> nope. <laughs> no. Never. Never. Don't get it. Always miss it. Anyhow, what is your second pick? I mean, we might as well skip it. It's that bad. <laughs> but we'll, we'll just we'll just do it. Uh, all right. So, what is it? All right. So I found an article from March 19th, 1981 in the Courier Post titled Sneak Peek at Christmas. The article talks about some of the most popular toys from Mr. Potato Head to the Star Wars line from Kenner. But in between action figures and video games was an electronic tabletop game from Atari called Cosmos, a tabletop game that uses inexpensive holographs in its three-dimensional Navy battles and gunfights. The base machine was going to retail for $99.95, and the game cartridges sell for $9.99. The system's debut at the Toy Fair earlier that year managed to get 8,000 pre-orders. While marketed as a tabletop device, it was also a handheld long before the Atari Lynx. This would have been a more impressive technology than the Coleco Mini Arcades, but in the end, Atari never released the product, though drawing up mock-ups and all kinds of advertising for this thing to finally come out. A few prototypes did do still exist, and they're in the hands of collectors. But yeah, a debut that never happened. That's what I got. Wow. All right. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm looking at the picture of this because I had never heard of it. It looks like, I don't know, this picture kind of looks like Yars Revenge or something. Maybe they're playing. It's, but, you know, I, I just found out about this fucking thing. It's a weird looking system. It, it kind of looks like a fucking, you know, those calculators with the tape from back in the day. Yes. Yeah. It looks like that without the tape. Yeah. It's weird. And it's a little, it's 1981. So it's, it's kind of advanced for everything else that you're seeing. I did catch a couple videos on YouTube that actually went through the whole process of this thing almost coming out. So it's, it's interesting. It's like, it's a lost thing from Atari, but uh, yeah, didn't actually make it onto shelves. But it was right. pre-ordered. 
and they had to give all that money back. Yeah, you know, kind of like the uh, the current Atari fucking VCS that nobody can fucking get. Oh, really? That's the same shit that's going well, on now? No, they, uh, so the uh, Atari, the people that run Atari now are putting out a new system. And it went on to, I forget if it was um, Kickstarter or the the Indiegogo, but uh, they managed to reach and surpass their goals. But this is like three years ago. They haven't fucking mailed any of these things out yet. Atari, kicking ass. So Atari is not what it was. And it's also not Atari anymore. It's owned by like some some licensing company. Yeah, when was the last time Atari was it the Jaguar? Is that like the the, the Atari thing? Jaguar is the last system they came out with? But I did hear that they are going to have some Atari branded hotels that will have some vintage wood grain look to the rooms. Ooh, yeah! Wow, sexy to go there for your honeymoon. Yeah, I wonder if they'll have like an actual like Atari twenty six hundreds in the room. You know, <laughs> you want to surf the web? They give you a fucking an eight bit computer. Yeah. What was the what was the model after? Was it the forty eight hundred? You've got the twenty six hundred, the fifty two hundred, which is the one 50, that everybody that's hates. The one, okay, but that was the one that could play both, right? Um, I don't know if that one plays both. I don't have uh, the fifty two hundred, but the seventy eight hundred can play both. And what's cool about the seventy eight hundred is it's a little closer to like NES style. But that seventy eight hundred was supposed to come out right around the time of the crash. Oh no, shit! That that's the one I was. I was thinking of, I don't know, I got 4,800, I fucking mixed They're so together. bad at managing their company. Like, it's just, fuck, it's a fucking mess over there. Like, how do they even come up with the numbers? How do you go from 2,600 to 5,200 to 7,800? I don't know, and their computers are like 400, 800. <laughs> Somebody in the fucking boardroom is like, let's call it 7,800. Yeah. Yes, let's do it. It's great. All right, so those are a couple amazing picks. Mark, blow me away with your hot products from 1995. All right, we're going to go back to newspapers.com. We're going to go to The Courier in Waterloo, Iowa, in a newspaper dated March 15th, 1995, in a section that they have called FYI. It's a weekly compendium of information about new products, contests, and other interesting stuff. So the entry in this one says, zippity doo washing the car this spring will be easier than ever with the first aerosol foaming car wash. Zip Wax Foaming Car Wash. It's the no-bucket system. Just spray, sponge, and rinse clean. It won't streak windshields and effectively removes dirt, grime, and has a sheeting action, which lessens towel drying time. The car wash is described as safe for all finishes and is available in 4-ounce and 21-ounce aerosols. So Zip Wax Foaming Car Wash. It's the very first foaming car wash. If you look it up, it's still available today. It's owned by Turtle Wax. So it must be good. Yeah. March 15th, 1995, it was announced. So here's my other hot product. We're going to go to the Associated Press. In an article written March 17th, 1995, Americans can finally prevent that itchy and sometimes scratchy, dangerous right of childhood. The government has approved the nation's first chickenpox vaccine on Friday. March 17th, 1995, we got the FDA finally approves the chickenpox vaccine in the United States. How topical is this? We were just talking about it the other day in our Facebook group. If this coronavirus thing was around when we were kids, all of our parents would have said, go out, play with all the other kids, catch it so we can get it over with. So we all die. Yeah. I, I remember <laughs> growing up, they used to have chickenpox parties. Yeah, I remember. 
this finally ended that horrible practice. So, yeah, we finally get the uh, chicken pox vaccine in America. Four million Americans, mostly children, get the chicken pox vaccine every year. The article goes on to describe it can be deadly, killing up to 90 people a year and hospitalizing 9,300 people every wow. single year. Right, so good that's shit. my second news story. Chicken pox vaccine and Ziplax foaming car wash. Did uh, both of you guys get chicken pox? I did not. I never got it. I did. Oh, you did not experience the fucking itchy, no. disgusting. It almost looks like, uh, yeah. I'm trying to think. I got it movie. young. I was like five. Yeah, same here. I got it. Yeah. I remember in I got it in kindergarten. And everyone got it at the same fucking time, like my entire class. Yeah, and you come out looking like that kid from the Garbage Pail movie with the pimples all over his face. Yes. Yeah, Nat Nerd. <laughs> I'm Nat Nerd. Nat Nerd, yes. <laughs> Nat Nerd. You uh, you had the Nat Nerd <laughs> vaccine come out in 1995. <laughs> that's good shit. The uh, aerosol foaming car wash, that's some shit. Because uh, I know it says that it's streakless, she said. Yeah. I think everything I've ever read, if it says streakless, they're lying. Yeah, totally. Even Or Windex. I'm doing it wrong. Yeah, it's yeah. always like, <laughs> it doesn't leave streaks. My ass, it doesn't. If fucking every time I use it, I leave streaks everywhere. Yeah, come leave streaks, too. <laughs> <laughs> There's no disclaimer on that. And then uh, Mike came with the uh, Muppet Store opening in Lexington Ave, which looks like it closed in 93, so it opened for like 12 years or so, and then the... Uh, the Cosmos tabletop from Atari that never came out but had 8,000 pre-orders. So technically it does qualify as a hot product because you had those pre-orders. And I will say right up off the bat, you guys coming with stuff like this in a week experience, I know you did your, your work looking for all this stuff because it's not – nobody's going out and looking for the Muppet store opening on Lexington. Nobody in 20 <laughs> years has probably talked about the Cosmos tabletop except for a collector. Uh, and then Mark coming with the aerosol foaming car wash, which is... Which I forgot about. You forgot about the aerosol foaming car wash? Yes. Uh, <laughs> I never even heard of it, but it's a good one. Well, wasn't there like an infomercial for that? Uh, or am I, maybe I'm thinking of something else. I don't remember. I can't, I can't say with any validity if it did or not. Uh, but the fact that Mark came with the chicken pox vaccine, <laughs> I mean, it's like I said, it's like... Back and forth each round. Where, where did you find that article? It was in the Associated Press. Of course it was. That's where you find it. That's where real news is printed. <laughs> <laughs> I was a journalism major. Trust me, I know. And what I like also is you, you found, what was it called? The FYI section or what was it called? FYI. Yeah. It's a compendium yeah. of uh, like all the new products and inventions or, you know, hot topics. See, I love stuff like that. And if you guys haven't done this yet, they don't pay us for this at all. And we mention them all the time. Go to newspapers.com, sign up for an account. I think it's owned by Amazon now. It's really cool. Like if you're into nostalgia and you want to look at stuff from the 80s and 90s or whenever the fuck you want to look, and it goes back to like the 1800s, especially if you're sitting at home doing nothing for the next month yeah. besides listening to this podcast, I would say go there and check these articles out. And sections like that are like my bread and butter. I love that. Like uh, FYI, uh, the the TGIF section that you find in old newspapers that has what's like coming up for the weekend and the uh, stepping out and all that stuff. Yeah. Those are fun to look at. You know, you could skip all the boring news stories, 
and just kind of go to those sections and flip through, look at the movies coming out. That's the best, man. It's the ads. It's the all that yeah, stuff. Oh, yeah. Occasionally, you'll find like a news story that's not real news that's fun right. to look at and read. But like the real news stories, like, you know, Challenger blowing up or something like that, like you just skip over those and you look for like the, the more finer things that you find entertaining. So if you haven't done that yet, it's not that expensive. It's, I don't know, like five or six bucks a month. I'm throwing, pulling that strictly out of my ass. Maybe it's more, maybe it's less, um, but it is a cool service. So go to newspapers.com and check them out. But uh, we're going to the two point rounds here and Mark has control of the board again. He's got a two to one lead. Oh, wait, wait. I, di- I didn't win that round. <laughs> <laughs> no, you uh, you lost uh, miserably on that one. Uh, Fuck, man. <laughs> but you know what? We're going back and forth, so I'm going to say that Mark is going to lose this round and Mike's going to win this one. So let's see what happens. Go me. All right, so we're going to go to, to March 14th, 1995. We're going to the television round, ladies and gentlemen. You sit down. You're going to watch some TV. We're going to watch an episode of Home Improvement. Oh, an episode season four episode 20 we give you the episode talk to me tim accidentally throws dinner into the trash compactor and then drops jill's ring down the furnace tim speaks to two guys on how to talk to women on tool time and he calls jill an old hen the two guys that tim talks to on tool time about how to talk to women were two guest stars on this episode dave chappelle and jim brewer actually Ooh. co-starred together this is in 95, this was a good three years before Half-Baked would come out. So that's my first installment, Home Improvement, episode titled Talk to Me, Season 4, Episode 20. You get a couple of nice co-stars in here with Dave Chappelle and Jim Brewer. Was this uh, either one of their debuts in anything? Chappelle did a sitcom, didn't he? Yeah, he had done Comic Justice. He had done some HBO stuff. So... Yeah, he had been on TV before that. He had done Def Comedy Jam and Comic Justice. It wasn't his first, but it was up there. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It looks like this was like the fifth thing that uh, Chappelle was in. So yeah. Yeah, I forgot. He was in Robin Hood Men in Tights. Right. At you. Yeah, at you. So it wasn't the first thing it was in, but it was right when Dave Chappelle was, you know, starting to get big at the time. So It's his first sitcom. Okay. Yeah, sure. If you want to, if the judge wants to sell my pick that way for me, go ahead. Yes. He, you know, I'm looking at this right now. He was in something in 1981. Really? Yeah, called The End of August. He was Kid on the Beach, uncredited. Oh, I love Kid on the Beach. My favorite role of his. <laughs> Can you imagine Dave Chappelle playing a kid on the beach <laughs> and not high? Oh, oh Jesus. Man. All right. So, my second television offering. Is uh, we're going to take a look here at the uh, some television network ratings. We're going to go to an article, March twenty third, nineteen ninety five. NBC's Seinfeld leads network to the top of the weekly Nielsen ratings. Seinfeld led four other shows from NBC's powerhouse Thursday lineup into the top ten, giving the network its fifth consecutive week atop the prime time ratings. For the week of March 13th to the 19th, NBC earned an 11.5 rating and had a 19% share of the audience. And the episode of Seinfeld that aired that day was called The Jimmy. Season 6, episode 18, Elaine dates a man whose habit of speaking in the third person cause a wide, causes a wide array of confusion, and George is blamed for the theft of Yankees sports equipment. 
Now, the two really interesting things about this episode is it is the debut of Richard Hurd as uh, George's boss, Mr. Wilhelm. But the most exciting thing for me about this is when I look back at Seinfeld, and particularly the character of George, one of my favorite things about George, George always had that annoying habit of talking in the third person. You would often hear him saying, George is getting upset. That all started on this episode. This was the very first time. George is getting upset. Yes. First time George (laughs) ever refers to himself in the third person was on this episode entitled The Jimmy. Go check it out. It's a great episode. If you go to IMDb, it's actually rated a 9.0. It is a fan favorite episode. And it was on March 16th, 1995. You could catch that original airing. So that's what I got for the television round. Good shit from 95. I'm so interested to see what 1981 has to offer because I already predicted that Mike was going to win this round in a landslide. Let's see what Mike has. What do you got, Mike? All right. Well, on March 18th, 1981, at 4.30 p.m., the ABC after school (laughs) special was... My mother was never a kid. The whore. Brought to you by Kellogg's and McDonald's. In 1981, a teenage girl named Victoria Martin is convinced her mother doesn't understand the younger generation. After she bangs her head on a subway, Victoria travels back in time to 1944 and meets her mother as a teenager. There she finds that no Martin ever amounted to anything in the history of Hill Valley. (laughs) And if the (laughs) similar... And if the similarities aren't enticing enough for you, uh, Victoria actually says, this is getting really heavy. Oh, shit. Look at that. I found this to be interesting. Now, I know that Back to the Future was was written, you know, in like the late 70s, early 80s. And I don't think they actually ripped this off. But I just thought it was funny because I actually fucking sat through this, you know, and watched it so I can come on and talk to you guys about it. And it it is, it, it's horrible. It sucks. Is this uh, Leah Thompson's <laughs> debut? No, it's nobody's debut. <laughs> it's nobody. There's nothing here. No, honestly, like if you watch any of these after school specials now, you're not taking anything away from it except for a comedic value of how terrible it is. Oh, yeah. But this wasn't even fun. This wasn't like Scott Baio stoned, oh, which is fucking awesome. You know, this is just I'm still ever since uh, I had the episode where I had the uh, <laughs> the after school special about dyslexia with the Rivers brothers and I had to watch that. <laughs> I don't know if anything could top that. Yeah, I actually have a box set of some of the after-school specials. Well, you should oh, show wow. that to your son when he gets old enough. Yeah, I of, will. I'll a lot do of good the, stuff. It holds up. Yeah. I'll, I'll do the one where, you know, like, the, the kid's gay and he doesn't tell anybody and he kills himself. That's, that uh, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. I love how they just threw that out there. <laughs> like, fucking every one of those fucking episodes. Like, somebody's holding something inside and they kill themselves. Those are the only episodes. Yeah, it's amazing because all the other ones, they overcome whatever their issue is. Yeah. And in those, they just they just kill themselves. These ones, they have to kill themselves. So, like, they leave a mark and, like, they're, the whole school is just upset and they feel bad about it. Well. But they have a, like, there's, like, a secondary story in there, like, uh Jimmy had unprotected sex or something like they always got to like <laughs> add oh, yeah. something in there. Yeah. I'm a teenage mother. Some shit like that. <laughs> and my brother just killed himself. Yeah. I'm a varsity athlete, but I want to be a dancer. You know, <laughs> those things. I just watch girls just want to have fun. I want that to be me. I just want to dance. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, anyhow, what's your second pick there? All right, well, so my second one. If you were watching TV the evening of March 18th, 1981, then you probably found yourself watching ABC at 8 p.m. to see the premiere of The Greatest American Hero. Yes! The show follows high school remedial teacher Ralph Hinckley, who gets a superhuman suit from some aliens, uh, gives him some Superman-like abilities as long as he helps save the planet from destruction. Overcoming crime and injustice, the show ran for three seasons and shot a pilot in 1986 for a spinoff called The Greatest American Heroine that uh, never ended up happening. The theme song, believe it or not, peaked at number two on the Hot 100. A three-issue comic was issued in 2008 and a reboot has been in the works but has yet to be picked up. Uh, now, a little interesting uh, fact here. Uh, towards the end of the first season... The lead character, Ralph Hinckley, had his last name changed to Hanley yep. after the assassination attempt on Ronald Reagan by John Hinckley on March 30th, 1981. Now, they, in the second season, they did revert back to the original name. But I remember that. All right, good shit. I also sat through this pilot, which was about two hours. I kind of remember this show, like, but more so like the the image of him in the suit, not mm -hmm. actual episodes. Yeah. Uh, and I so I watched the pilot. I thought it was pretty good. It is. It's a. It's a good show for 1981. I, yeah, I it doesn't it hold up now. You know, you watch it in 2020, and you have to kind of watch it wearing those uh, rose-colored 1981 glasses, where you're like, "Oh, this is good for 1981." Because if you try to watch it and you're thinking like of you know the shit that we watch now, it just doesn't uh, doesn't hold the candle. But uh, just looking at these picks here, uh, so Mark had the episode of Home Improvement. And I love it when, uh, you know, we pull up stuff where we had some guest stars that are kind of before their prime. And this is right before Chappelle and uh, Jim Brewer. And then NBC just killing it. I mean, in 1995, dude, what happened to NBC? Nothing. <laughs> oh, it's, come on, man. NBC killed it in the 90s. And then, like, they're just not the same. They They can't keep a good show on. Like, you might like a show. And they just cancel it now. They don't give it enough time to develop. Kind of like, remember Heroes? And there was a couple other shows they did the yeah. same thing with. Uh, a couple shows. There's a lot of fucking shows that NBC has done that with over the past, like, 25 years. Or actually, past 20 years. Because when did uh, Seinfeld end? Uh, 97, 98? 98. 98. 98. Like, right 98. after that. And uh, right after, Friends started to die out. I know that's kind of blasphemy to say, but I know the ratings were still there, but. The show itself, as a big Friends fan, I felt like it kind of started to peter out. Yeah, it had already jumped the shark by then. Yeah. Those last three seasons were... Yeah. You know what's crazy about NBC is that, and and Mar I know Mark knows, uh, Cheers was like the lead-in for right. Seinfeld. So you're coming, you're going from Cheers, which is a fucking huge show, yep. to Seinfeld to also having friends on at the same time, and you've got ER at 10 o'clock. I mean, they were fucking... That, that Thursday they night. They were doing great. Yeah, they were killing shit. ER, oh, and Frasier. They had Frasier, Frasier on as well. Frasier as well. Yep. yep. And ER, yeah. that's a good Cosby. fucking drop. Yeah. <laughs> we don't talk about Cosby around here. <laughs> hey, listen, I'm still a Cosby fan, man. <laughs> that guy's funny, and I love Jello. <laughs> Interesting. And pudding. All right, so then we look at uh, 1981... 
you had uh, my mother, the whore. <laughs> Actually, I'm taking notes as I do this, and I mentioned, I said my mother, the whore, just kidding around, and I fucking wrote it as my mother, the whore, in my <laughs> notes. <laughs> no, the wrong after school special. <laughs> <laughs> what was the name of it again? My mother, what? It, it was my mother was never a kid. Oh, all right. Well, same thing. But it had Leah Thompson, had a couple of the. Uh, a couple things from there were interesting interesting tie-ins at least with back to the future but then you had greatest american hero and we had i, I was a huge fan of the show growing up uh i owned it on vhs i think there were copies matter of fact that i used to rewatch. and uh maybe two years ago we had uh, william cat of course who played the lead role in this he was on the show and a week prior to the show even coming on, I was out to dinner with my wife and I look over, my phone starts ringing and I look at it and William Cat is calling me on my <laughs> cell phone. And I was like, fuck, what? I pick it up and he's like, uh, hey, this is Bill. I'm like, hey, hey, Bill, how's it going? I'm like, I'm at a pizzeria and I'm talking to William Cat. I'm like, hey, Bill, uh, this is Nick. What's going on? And he's like, um, aren't we supposed to be recording? I was like, you know, that's that's next week, bro. And he's like, oh, fuck me. All right, well, I'll talk to you next week. Take care. And just hangs up. It was great. And then when we had him on, and Mark will remember this, this is when, uh, back when Jay Biglove was on the show. Yeah. And uh, it was Mark, myself, and Jay, and we had William Cat on. And Jay's a little younger than us, so he didn't really appreciate the greatest American hero like we did. And we're we're just talking to him about his career and different things or whatever. And Jay says something around like just loosely that sounds like, yeah, your career is dead. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and, like I don't remember the exact wording, but that's kind of what it came out like. And uh, William Cat was like, yeah, I'm a fucking loser. Like, I don't remember what he said either, but he took it really bad for what Jay said. And he was like. William Cat, like he was so cool. He was drinking wine while he was on. He was on webcam with us. Yeah. And then as soon as Jay said that, and this is like, I don't know, maybe like 40, 50 minutes into us talking to him, it just changed the dynamic of the interview. <laughs> it turned into more of like apologetic. But he was super cool. Uh, I've tried to get him back on here to judge an episode, but some stuff uh, he's been like doing movies or whatever. But I will reach out to him again because. Yeah, just tell him Jay's not on the show anymore. <laughs> yes, that's my selling point. Remember the guy that said your career was over? When yeah, we you, got uh, rid of him. <laughs> when you, you didn't get the, the part as uh, Luke Skywalker, and it went to Mark Hamill, and you ended up in, uh, what did he end up instead? Uh, the Brian De Palma film, um, Carrie. Carrie. He ended yeah. up in Carrie instead. So, But he still had a good career, man. Good fucking yeah. career, great actor. Great show that I loved. And the fact that this is a debut and it's a show that I loved, I called it in the beginning, Mike, you're taking this round. Now you have the lead. It's three points to two. We're going into the final round, which is music, and you have the board. Hold on to your drumsticks, tilt your pinball machines, and cuddle up next to your squeeze box, because on March 16th, 1981, British rock band The Who released Face Dances. The Who's ninth studio album. This is the first album to feature drummer Kenny Jones following the death of Keith Moon in 1978. The album peaked at number four on the U.S. Billboard charts and features the singles You Better Bet and Don't Let Go the Coat. 
You Better Bet was also one of the first music videos on MTV when it launched in August of 1981. All right. So, yeah, that's my first pick, uh, an album that uh, from The Who that I didn't even know existed. <laughs> it had a few singles on it. Yeah, it, it's cool that the one of the the first single actually did have a music video that was one of the early videos on MTV. Yeah, but, I mean, when you have nine studio albums, there's going to be albums that, if you're not a yeah, like well, a and there's no Keith fan, Moon on it. Yeah, so. you're, you're just going to kind of have ones that are, eh, there it is. Kind of like when uh, Pearl Jam put up by Noel, and uh, like yeah. as a big fan, I was like, eh, I like it, but I had to sell myself into it, and I probably haven't listened to it in 20 years. But somebody out there, it's probably their favorite album. Just like this uh, face dance is probably somebody's favorite album. Somebody. Anyhow, what's your second pick? All right. Well, on March 15th, 1981, an episode of Solid Gold aired. Solid Gold was a music television series that aired on Saturday evenings and shared similarities with American Bandstand and Soul Train. The first season was hosted by Donnie Warwick. And as well as having performers, they did a weekly top 10 list. The partic- this particular episode had a performance from Jermaine Jackson. Yeah. The number one song on Solid Gold, as always, was taken directly from the weekly pop music chart from the music newspaper Radio and Records. And this week, the number one song was John Lennon's Woman for the third consecutive week. Woman was a single off the Double Fantasy album com- that came out in 1980. Um, so what I've got is an episode of a music show. That did a top 10 countdown, and that particular week in March, John Lennon's Woman was the number one song for Which three weeks in a row. makes sense, because he just died a couple months prior to that. Yeah. In December. Yeah. That's a big album, so. Yeah. All right, Mark. Wow me, man. This is your turn, bro. It's going back and back, 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 back. Like, this is you. Uh, it's going to be a tough one. <laughs> Jesus. All right, guys. So, for my music selection, you know, again... I'm going back to the newspapers because they always cover local musicians and local bands. So I found some news about a local band I thought I'd bring up. In the Atlanta Constitution, dated March 16th, 1995. After a jet-setting two months of 1995, members of this Stockbridge rock group came home to hone new material in a tiny Henry County practice room where the band used to jam before making the big time. Nobody knows where we practice, said the bassist. Those private sessions prepared the band for a month-long domestic tour supporting mega-rockers Van Halen. The tour kicked off Saturday in Pensacola, Florida. Much happened to the Stockbridge High School graduates. The guitarist Will Turpin, lead vocalist Ed Rowland, younger brother and rhythm guitarist Dean Rowland, and lead guitarist Ross Childress, and drummer Shane Evans. It was a blur, Evans said by telephone from New York, while the band was schmoozing with the media during a promotion from its upcoming album and its second album that is self-titled, the band I'm talking about is Collective Soul. Releasing their second album, which was actually self-entitled, it became the band's biggest selling date to album going triple platinum. It spent an astonishing 76 weeks on the Billboard 200 charts. It gave us the singles December, The World I Know, and my personal favorite, the first single off that, Gel. The article goes on to talk about Gel, saying it currently is rolling up the charts, and largely because it is a single from the new Jerky Boys movie. And that yep. hit number one. So that's my first album, Collective Soul, Collective Soul. Man, 
this was a huge album. I bought this one. I still have it. You I have still it on have CD. it? Yeah. Okay, so I'm in the minority here. Uh, I hated that fucking song, <laughs> the, the World I Know. I hated the video. I hated how it played on VH1 all fucking day. I hated it, too. The only song I loved on this album was Gel. Oh, my God. I can still hear that fucking video. I can still hear it. Oh. It's the world I know. Oh, God. I'd rather listen to fucking Fiona Apple. I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's not true. I'm sorry. I retract that statement. <laughs> All right. So let's go to my second music selection. This album was released March 14th, 1995. And again... This was another album, much like Collective Soul, that was huge. It debuted at number one on the Billboard 200 charts and held the spot for four consecutive weeks. This album eventually went triple platinum and was nominated for Best Rap Album of the Year and Best Solo Performance. And most astonishingly, this album was released while the artist was in prison. Yes, I am talking about Tupac, Me Against the World. (laughs) Look at Mike's face. This album is just, it's just amazing. This was the first album. A friend of mine had this back in 95. He bought it when it first came out. He's like, you got to hear this. This was the album that turned me on the Tupac. There is a certain feel and flow to this album that you don't find in any other Tupac album. It's very personal. It's an anomaly in the world of rap and hip hop. And I'm sure Mike can back me up on this one. So that's my uh, my second album selection, Tupac, Me Against the World. Just a fantastic album. So that's what I got for the music round. Some Tupac and some Collective Soul. Oh, man. Me Against the World and the World I Know. <laughs> Me Against the World I Know. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I don't know how you guys did it, but you went every round back and forth. And I don't think that's, at least when I've been judging, that's never happened. And I don't think it's happened quite often or maybe ever but i'm gonna go with mark on this round obviously come on wow (laughs) the best thing that mike came with was uh the who face dances just because i like a face dance but i mean solid gold i i know like i'm a little confused on that now this might alter your judgment i'm not sure the host of solid gold was that donnie warwick or dion warwick you said Donnie Warwick. Did I write? Oh, shit. I'm not sure who Donnie Warwick is. He might be a great host that Man Crush knows, and I might lose this round. I don't know. But. No extra points for that. <laughs> Hold on a second. Let me, fi- let me fucking figure this out for a second. It's her, uh, it's her cousin. Right. Donnie. It's her cousin Donnie. Donnie. He was not in the Psychic Friends Network, believe it or not. <laughs> I guess it's Donnie Warwick, yeah. Wait, it's Diani? Diani? It's a different guy? I don't know how to fucking pronounce it. It would be Dion um, Warwick. <laughs> well, that's what I had it as. <laughs> okay, but you said Donnie, so I didn't know if there was a, a Donnie Warwick or not. Don, every band's got a Donnie. <laughs> all, right, was Do- all, right, all right, it was Donnie Osmond. <laughs> Wait, now I'm confused. Was it Donnie Osmond or uh, Donnie Warwick? Or Dion Warwick? Or Donnie Wahlberg? Whatever, it was Warwick. It was Donnie Wahlberg? Yeah, it was Donnie He was Donnie like nine Wahlberg. years old? Yeah. You guys are missing the point. Jermaine Jackson was singing that <laughs> night. What song was he singing? That's what I want to know. I didn't know. I didn't even bother listening to it. The episode's available on YouTube, though. 
I don't know one Jermaine Jackson song. I don't either. Uh, if you look up Jermaine Jackson, does it, let's see. Jermaine Jackson hits. Uh, oh, shit. He's, according to Google, he's uh, he's got quite a few. But I saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus is about the only song that I know. Yeah, that's the only thing I could think of was the Christmas music they did. But, like, I don't know if you really want to consider those hits. He is a plastic-looking dude, though. He still looks the same now as he did in 1981. Yeah, it kind of runs in the family. <laughs> well, he dips his face in wax before he leaves the house. <laughs> oh, that thing could be why. Uh, but, yeah, I got to go 1995. The, obviously, the Tupac thing, uh, Dear Mama comes to mind with this, the video for it and everything. And like I said, Collective Soul, I went out, I bought that CD. I bought the other CD as well, the one with Shine on it, because come on, let's shine. You got to have that one. I don't know what happened to those guys after they did uh, the title track on Varsity Blues. They just kind of faded out. Yeah. Maybe they went back to uh, the suburbs of Atlanta and they're working on a new album. I don't know. Actually, I I believe they're still around. Yeah. I mean, they still got a website up. But if you go to their website, they actually their logo is the same exact thing that was on the cover of that album. Yeah. Yeah. They've never changed it. They put it on this album, the self-entitled album. Most people refer to it as the Blue Album because they had a couple of self-entitled albums. So, ah, one of those. They're still touring. Actually, all these tour dates are for next month, so I'm sure that's canceled. Yeah. But... So they're not touring. So they're not. <laughs> they're not actively touring. Uh, but like they everybody are. Everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, just going through this myself. Missed the uh, Billy Joel concert, which was supposed to be last night. Actually, no, that was supposed to be tonight. Was supposed yeah. to be the Billy Joel concert, and uh, that got rescheduled, and then I missed out on Roman Duddy. They just completely canceled that whole show. I think they canceled the rest of their tour, and that's that, which kind of sucks. Yeah. I'm not going to get to see it. It sounds like you need to see a performance, and if you're going to watch a performance, you should be watching Jermaine Jackson's performance on Solid Gold. <laughs> that's right. We should. On the night of March 15th, 1981. <laughs> Mark actually had a great idea the other night. I know, you know, right now, none of us can go out. We can't do shit. Uh, especially if you live in New York like uh, like I do and Mike does, you know, we're pretty much housebound. So you're not going to any shows. And Mark was saying the other day, he's like, you know, why don't we do something like on our Facebook group where, you know, I guess Mark does this all the time watching old Grateful Dead shows and you know live shows. Let's uh, let's see what's on the Facebook universe and host like a live concert of something so people can watch it. This is a great idea. I think you should do it, Mark. Find something you like. Give somebody something to watch. Yeah, I'm sure there's some like old Guns N' Roses shows, some Pearl Jam shows. Collective Soul. Collective Soul. Gotta be a Collective Soul. <laughs> and Jermaine Jackson has to be on that as well. Yeah, I mean, we could watch Jermaine Jackson on Solid Goal all as a group. Nobody will watch it, but you could do that. I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did. I'll be there. I want to watch the, 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 the Solid Gold dancers. <laughs> Check that stuff out. And, you know... Uh, we're talking about it now. This episode will come out on Wednesday. We're going to try to do a live trivia on CastBox this Friday. So the episode comes out on Wednesday. Join us on Friday night. If you're trapped inside, you got nothing else to do. You watched every show you can think of. You know, you're getting tired of watching TV. Come on. We'll, we'll have some new trivia on there. We'll do it on CastBox. We'll do it at 8 p.m. Eastern time. So come on there. Do some trivia with us. Hang out with us for a little bit. We'll all get our mind off all the shit that's going on right now. And it'll be fun. 
Well, in the meantime, duelers, if you've missed an episode, you can always head over to DuelingDecades.com where you can subscribe to the show on CastBox. You can subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And then you can head over to Facebook.com forward slash Dueling Decades and join our private group like we were talking about. Maybe we'll have some of those concerts coming up. We can all chill together at a show, do a little bit of the couch tour. All right, duelers. So we're going to end this episode right here. I want to thank Mike Ranger for coming in tonight and Man Crush for being the judge. And thanks for everybody for listening and spending some time with us. Stay safe, duelers. We're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone. Infirmary Media.